This is the Taiwanology podcast from Commonwealth Magazine, where we discuss Taiwan matters and why they matter to you. Coming to you from Taipei, the capital of the freest nation in Asia. Welcome to another episode of Taiwanology podcast. This is your host Guangying Liu from Commonwealth Magazine. Today we have a special episode. We're going to talk about Elon Musk. Whether you admire him, disagree with him, or find yourself utterly perplexed by his moves, one thing is certain: Elon Musk is impossible to ignore. He's the mastermind behind groundbreaking ventures like Tesla, SpaceX, Starlink, the Boring Company, and most recently X, formerly known as Twitter, making him one of the most talked-about, influential, and honestly polarizing personalities of our time. In this special episode, we talk to Walter Isaacson, a renowned biographer with acclaimed works on Steve Jobs, Einstein, and Da Vinci to his name. He is the author of the most comprehensive biography on Elon Musk to date. In early September, Commonwealth Magazine published the traditional Chinese version of the biography in Taipei. But who is the man behind this book? Isaacson is a seasoned journalist with over two decades at Time Magazine and a former executive at CNN. To delve deeper into Isaacson's perspectives on Musk, my colleagues Cheryl Wu and Yishan Chen sat down with Isaacson and asked him about Musk, how he navigates the maze of rules, and his controversial stance on China and Taiwan. In the recording you're about to hear, are、uh, the honest reactions. Of my coworkers, sometimes they're curious, sometimes quite surprised. In a world shaped and shifted by Elon Musk's vision, we are all just passengers. Now, please let's dive in. We are curious about your motivation to do Elon Musk. I know you. Your book are mostly about genius or people who created a revolution, people with very high creativity and innovation. So. I know you've said in an interview that you thought Musk probably is the most interesting person around today, and I agree that. But besides that, what's the main reason that motivate you to do him in the first place? Besides that, he's very interesting. <laughs> I'm very interested in people who are innovators, people who are creative and think different, and that's why I did Steve Jobs, and he helped bring us into the digital revolution. With everything from phones, personal fun computers, music, the other great innovator of our time is Jennifer Doudna. I wrote about her because she's involved in finding tools that can edit our DNA. And then the third great innovator of the modern time is Elon Musk. He's kind of crazy. Yeah,、uh, it was a wild ride being with him all this time. But as Steve Jobs once said, the people are crazy enough. To think they can change the world are the ones who do. And so when Musk said I could write a biography of him, I said, "Well, I need two conditions. One is I don't want to just do a bunch of interviews. I want to be by your side for two years. I want to be in every meeting. I want to be at dinner and lunch with you. I want to walk on the assembly lines with you. I want to watch you dealing with things."、And、he said, "Fine," and he gave me unbelievable access. I mean, there was never anything he said. I couldn't watch and take notes, and then I said, "And you're going to have no control over the book." He didn't even read it. 
hasn't read it yet. So he has no control over it. So I think it is a very up close, personal and intimate book about the most interesting and influential private citizen in the world today. So is there any huge difference between、uh, your previous understanding of him and the ob- observation you got later on with him? So is there any like what's the most surprising thing you discovered during those years by his side? I discovered that there's not one Elon Musk.、It's、kind of weird. I don't know if you know the story called Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, but it's about a person who has big personality changes, and and that's true of Elon Musk. There are about five or six versions of Elon Musk, and they change really fast when you're with them. Sometimes he's in engineering mode and he talks in a monotone and he focuses like a laser beam on an engineering problem or a manufacturing problem. And then sometimes he's silly. He's in a giddy mood. He makes stupid jokes, like he's going to have a fight with Mark Zuckerberg and pull, you know, yanks people's chain. They all think, is he telling the truth? And he said, no, he's just joking. That's his juvenile sense of humor. And then. There's a very charismatic visionary Musk who says we have to get humans to other planets. We have to explore our galaxy. We have to have sustainable energy and batteries and electric cars. We have to worry about artificial intelligence. And he's very visionary, and he can attract people to work with him. But there's another Elon Musk that surprised me and wasn't very pleasant. And that's what his girlfriend Claire Boucher, the artist known as Grimes, calls demon mode.、Mm-hmm. And that's when suddenly he gets triggered. Somebody will say, "That's against the rules. You can't do that," or "We're not going to be able to do what you ask," or anything will happen. And you can watch, and his face becomes almost unmoving and dark, and his eyes get angry. He doesn't raise his voice. He never, you know, abuses anybody, but he just starts talking in deep, cold anger, and maybe for an hour will just tell people how bad they are at something, and then he'll snap out of it. Suddenly, in the middle of it, he'll start joking again. He'll make some Monty Python jokes, and then I ask him about it afterwards, and he hardly remembers. Being in demon mode, so people say, "What did you think of him, or did you like him, or what?" I say, "Well, it depends on which Musk I was with at any given time." But that's what surprised me the most. What's what's your favorite version of Musk <laughs> among them? <laughs> My, you know, I think his humor is sometimes funny, but it's a bit silly, you know, a bit <laughs> juvenile and immature.、Oh. He likes, you know, making jokes about bodily functions and. Beating up Mark Zuckerberg,、mm. so it's sort of funny, but you know, it's my favorite is when he gets deeply involved in the engineering,、mm-hmm. usually about material science.、Mm-hmm. He'll say, "Why don't we make this rocket out of stainless steel?" And the engineers will say, "Well, it'll be too heavy. We can't do that." And he'll explain why, at certain temperatures and in certain ways. Stainless steel will be better, and they don't believe them, but they try it. And now Starship is being made out of stainless steel, and it's working. So I loved watching Engineering Mode because I didn't really 
I didn't really focus on the fact that he was that intense of an engineer. I thought he just ran these companies. He had other people doing the engineering. The odd thing is all of this echoes his father, who was a very difficult person. Elon doesn't speak to his father. His father's a pretty good engineer, understands material science. But his father also has these mood swings. Mm -hmm. And even when Elon was a child, suddenly his father would get dark and angry. And Elon would have to stand in front of him for an hour, for two hours, while his father told him how useless and what an idiot he was. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people are trying to deal with the demons of their childhood. And as Elon Musk's mother said to me, May Musk said to me, the big story here is the big danger for Elon is that he becomes his father. Do you think that his personal traits leads to, uh, lead to his success? Or is uh, there is some element of the time he was in like, but it happened to be like in a critical time when he disrupted every industry. Yes, I mean, that's what a biography is all about, which is talking about how a person's character is shaped, talking about the good sides and the bad sides of a person, showing how they're connected and showing how they lead both to his successes and sometimes his flame outs, sometimes his failures. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that he's really successful, that he's the only person who can get astronauts into orbit to the space station from America, or that he's a person who brought us to the era of electric vehicles. People say, well, does that excuse it when he's really mean to people or you know, does something bad? I say, no, it doesn't excuse it. You can admire his success and think it's pretty awful when he's mean to people. But you also have to understand that that personality is one big whole cloth. You can't take out the dark strands, leave in the light strands, and the cloth, if you do that, the cloth will unravel. So why is he such a big risk taker? Why does he love drama? Why is he so intense and so hardcore? Well, that comes from the demons inside him. But it's also because of those traits that he's so successful. I see. Do you think he shares similar personal traits with Steve Jobs? You know, every great innovator is different. Otherwise, I wouldn't have to write so many books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> write one book and say, here are yeah. the secrets to being an innovator. Mm -hmm. And Steve Jobs had a sense of spiritual beauty. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk has a great sense of manufacturing. Jennifer Dowda has a deep moral sense about how technology should be used. You know, Ben Franklin loved to bring people together. He's a great team builder and mm -hmm. wanted everybody to like it. So they're all pretty different, but they all have a certain passion. They all want to learn everything you can know about everything that's knowable. And they learn how to think differently because of that. They, they make imaginative leaps. You know, at first I thought he was just, what we might say, blowing smoke, making it up mm. about all his missions. But when he came out of college, 
He was worried about three major things. Human consciousness surviving. And he felt for that to happen, we had to go to different planets in case something happens to this planet. He cared about sustainable energy. And that's why he wanted to try electric cars when everybody else was giving up on it. And he worried that artificial intelligence could be harmful to humanity as opposed to being good for humanity. So those are his three missions. And every now and then, there's, as I said, the mission-driven, epic hero, Elon Musk. He talks about reading comic books as a kid. And he said, the heroes in the comic books were all trying to save the world. And they wore their underpants on the outside, so they looked ridiculous. But they were trying to save the world. And he said, I think we should all try to do what we can for humanity, to keep humanity, human consciousness alive. And that seems like a weird superhero thing. But he has a grand, epic sense of himself that can be at times inspiring and at times kind of weird. Elon Musk says that he has Asperger's, which is a form of autism spectrum disorder, which means that you don't really feel other people's emotions quite as much. And you don't really have empathy. And that makes him a seem pretty bad at times. I mean, we have words for that that are nasty, like jerk or some words that are even worse. But he says, yeah, it makes me not care whether the people in front of me like me. And sometimes when you're running a big enterprise, like SpaceX or Tesla or Twitter, if you care too much about everybody liking you, you're not going to do what's great for the enterprise. I can relate to that a bit. I'm the opposite of Elon Musk in that regard. I probably care too much uh, that people like me. You know, if I'm with anybody, I will, you know, work hard to understand their feelings, to relate to them and hope that they'll relate to me. But it meant that when I was running CNN, which needed to be shaken up a whole lot, I was not very good at being the type of mission-driven, hardcore executive that Elon Musk is. So I kind of figured, well, maybe I'm not cut out to be a hardcore executive. Uh, I don't want to fire a lot of people. I don't want to yell at a lot of people. But it also means I'm not going to shoot the rocket into orbit and I'm not going to get us into the era of electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. At best, I get to write about people who do amazing things. Mm -hmm. I can totally relate. Have you ever seen him afraid of anything or anybody? Or like real no, care about what? consequences? Yeah. I sometimes don't take risks. I'm careful. Mm -hmm. I'm sometimes afraid. Don't, you know. He is the most risk-taking, least afraid person I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Not only does he have a willingness to take risks, he loves taking risks. Mm -hmm. There's a birthday party that his second wife, Tallulah Riley, gave him. 
and there was a blindfolded knife thrower who was popping balloons on a target, throwing the knife. And Elon agreed to stand next to the target with pink balloons under his arms and between his legs. There's no reason to take that risk. He just likes taking risks. Peter Thiel, who was one of the founders of the company that eventually became PayPal, says Elon doesn't just tolerate risk, he seeks it out. And when things are calm, when things are going well, he's not comfortable. Mm -hmm. He likes having drama in his life. So sometimes, you know, I was at SpaceX in South Texas walking by the launch pad late one Friday night with him. And there weren't even launches planned and things were going well. And he suddenly said, we're gonna have to stack this rocket in seven days. It meant that they had to bring 100, 200 people to South Texas. He got furious because people weren't working hard enough. It's what he calls a surge, where if things are going too smoothly, he wants to shake it up and surge a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And he did that at Twitter. It's like, I'm going to cut out these servers. I'm going to fire these engineers. And people said, that's dangerous. That's risky. But he didn't have any fear of that. I think that's another lesson of his childhood is that <clears throat> it was very violent in South Africa. Uh, but he learned, he knew pain and he learned how to deal with it. So it seems like he, he, also, uh, he also doesn't care about rules, right? Like, is yeah. there any... <laughs> no, you're right. Did, did, is there any rules or any uh, regulation you, you've seen him like willing to follow or is there's none? I think that his number one rule, if you ask what his rule is, is question every rule. He'll say, whenever, whenever I was in a meeting and somebody would say, well, that's a regulation, that's a rule, that's a requirement. His number one way of operating was to say, who made that requirement? Who made that rule? Question it. Especially if it came from an expert, then you question it even more so. And that means he breaks rules. He shoots off rockets when the regulators tell him not to. But he says, we used to be a risk-taking society, but now we've got more regulators than we have doers. We have more referees than we have innovators. And so I don't know of any requirement or rule that he's been given that he happily accepts. He questions them all. His mother? His mother? (laughs) Yeah. Mother set the rules, so he cannot question me. His mother is interesting, wonderful woman. Yeah. But she raised him much differently than the way we raise children today. Mm -hmm. She let her three children just wander off, you know, in the when they, where they wanted. She didn't hover. She wasn't trying, you know, she let let them play with fire. 
She wasn't trying to protect them. She worked two jobs, sometimes three jobs. And so she often wasn't around. But I watch Elon doing that with his son X, who he adores, his three-year-old son. But we'll be at late at night at, say, a house where they're putting on a solar roof. And Musk is furious about the way they're doing the roof. And he's climbing to the top of the roof and trying to figure out how to make the roof more efficient. And little X is just wandering among the heavy equipment, a three-year-old toddling around on the ground. And Elon loves X dearly, but just as May Musk didn't set any rules or parameters and let Elon roam freely, Elon's doing that with X. He is fascinated by the manufacturing process. I think it's partly because he believes it's so important. But when he first started Tesla, it would had about five people founded the company. Yeah. And at first he was just the chairman and the finance and the person who was uh, funding it. Mm -hmm. And what they did was for the very first Tesla car, the batteries were made in Japan. And then the batteries were shipped to Thailand to become battery packs. Yeah. And then they were battery packs were shipped to England where the wow. Lotus, the car making company would put them in the chassis. Yeah. And then there was another company that made the, somewhere else, the panels, the fibers, the fenders, the doors. Right. And then it would have to get all the way shipped back to the United States and they put in the power train. Well, that meant he could not control the cost. Okay. It meant he couldn't control the quality. Yeah. It meant that if he decided that maybe it had to be easier to get into the door and that the floor of the car had to be a little bit lower, that meant everything from the batteries to the chassis to the panels had to change and they're in different places. And so the very first group at Tesla outsourced almost everything. Yes. He figured out that that was a disaster and he went radically in, in the other direction, making his own battery cells, making his own battery packs, making the chassis and doing it in this factory in California that he was able to create. So I think it was a bad experience he had with the original Teslas but it was also his nature that he likes to control things and that he thinks you can't innovate unless you have a your fingers on the product every day and you're helping to make it. Do you think that's why he are so interesting to make a manufacturing site in China? Because in China, you can have all manufacturing supplier, supply chain around you. Yes, he loves the fact that it's all in one place. He's not having to import the batteries. And I mean, there are things that get imported. He was the first person to be able to do a car manufacturing facility in China without it being a joint venture. Because that gets back to something I just mentioned, which is that he likes to control things. He doesn't like to share control. Right. And so for a long time, he wouldn't build a factory in China because 
they wouldn't let him control the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He had a college classmate, a close friend, one of his few close friends, named Robin Wren, yeah. who was from China. Yeah. And he asked Robin to go to China with him at one point. And they began to try to convince the government to let them do a factory that they would completely own. And eventually they did. How, how did they convince the authority? <laughs> I think that Xi Jinping was just beginning and he wanted to bring China further into understanding batteries and electric cars. And he was just able to convince the Chinese ministers that this will be better for you if you allow this in China. I don't really know. You'll, <laughs> I didn't interview Xi Jinping. Have you discussed with uh, Elon Musk about China decision? Oh, yeah. We spend lots of time talking about China and about Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And he really believes partly because he has a factory in China and he sells cars in China, that we need to have better relationships with China. And if we have better relations with China, there'll be less of a threat to Taiwan, that we're almost doing things that may provoke China into being more warlike and maybe threatening Taiwan. And so he wants everybody to calm down. And, and he does you know, depend on a lot of, of course, microchips mm -hmm. from Taiwan. So I have a follow-up question about this China-Taiwan issue. So, yeah, so it seems like he, he, he likes to use his influence on geopolitics, especially recently, and in terms of either cross-strait tension or here or Russia-Ukraine uh, war, right? So... I'm curious why um, why do why do you think he likes to do it and or does it relate to relate to his goal for humanity in general? <laughs> I think it relates to his superhero idea. Okay. You know, he's very powerful. Mm. He's the only person who can make these satellites that actually work and can't be hacked by Russia. He's the only person who can get American astronauts you know, from the U.S. to the space station. So he has a grand sense of himself. I think he's calmed down a little bit. He did the issue in Ukraine where he was trying to decide how Starlink could be used and whether it could be used against Crimea. And he had some peace plan, which, you know, didn't make much sense to me about Taiwan and China. But I think since then, He's decided to simply sell Starlink satellites to the U.S. military and allow the military to figure out what to do with them. And he doesn't meddle in peace plans. I think sometimes he just gets larger than himself. Mm -hmm. So I have another question about people around him. Like, he, he seems like, to, he seems to attract, or he's like a magnet for very loyal people with very great talents. So, like, why and what's so special about their funds with Elon Musk? Why do they have such a strong faith in him? Well, 
part of it is because there's a version of Elon Musk, one of his personalities, that's inspiring, visionary, charismatic. And when he talks about getting humanity to Mars, you know, that can inspire people. Mm-hmm. And he's a great leader at showing vision at times. And he'll say, name something more important and more exciting to do in this world than working on Starship and seeing if we can get people to Mars. Mm-hmm. Or name something more thrilling than creating a self-driving car that can, can learn from watching humans mm-hmm. how to drive. Wow. And those are big things. Yes. And so really talented people like Martin Cosa and Gwen Shotwell at SpaceX or Drew Baglino and Fritz von Holzhausen, they remain loyal because, you know, anything else is going to be boring. I talked to one of the great engineers there, a guy named Tim, Tim Zayman, and he said that it got really hectic at times and Musk would yell at them, and it was painful. He was working on the autopilot, self-drive at Tesla. And so finally he quit, and he went somewhere else where everybody took a lot of vacations and spent their weekends with their families. And he said, I was so bored, and I had to choose between being burned out or being bored. And I chose getting burned out. I went back to Tesla. Most people don't do it, but those who do, those who are afraid of boredom, those who want to do really big things, they get attracted and they stay and they go back if they leave. It called me in March. Towards the end of our interview, one of my co-workers, Vivian, asked Isaacson, did Musk reveal his upcoming plans of what he's up to next? And he gave us an honestly surprising answer. Take a listen. And said, I want to speak to you in person. Mm-hmm. We can't do it by phone. And he talked about the future ideas he had. Wow. One of them was to start an artificial intelligence company, mm-hmm. XAI, everything's named X. Yeah. And it was going to compete with chatbots, but it was also going to do real world artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. In other words, robots that could walk across a factory floor find a wrench and give it to the person who asked. He also told me that he was going to make a mass market, inexpensive car. So that's something he's going to do next. Another thing that's uh, important is he decided that self-driving, they're going to change the way they do it at Tesla and not do it based on writing code that gives instructions such as if you see a red light stop if you if a car don't cross a yellow line those type of instructions and instead to watch billions of frames of video on how good humans drove and learn just like a a chat gpt chatbot can learn to answer questions by reading billions of words, it will learn how to drive just by imitating humans. So that's what he has in store for the future. I think his biggest impact will be with robots and self-driving cars. That will change the world. Mm 
mm-hmm. we'll have factories that have artificial intelligence robots and it will change what labor is all about mm-hmm. we'll have self-driving cars which means people won't even have to own cars they can just summon a car and mm-hmm. then the car takes them where they want they can leave the car and that type of real-world artificial intelligence becomes what's known as AGI, artificial general intelligence, not just something that can generate an answer to a question, but something that can do anything a human can do. Mm-hmm. That's huge. And then the other big thing is, it won't be as fast as he thinks, but in 15 or 20 years, we're going to have rockets going to Mars. Mm-hmm. And soon after that, we may have a, we may be the only form of life that we know that's intelligent and goes to other planets. Musk is already like the most famous person worldwide, right? So why is this a very critical moment for people to understand him better, like from your perspective? I think that it's important to understand what causes innovation, what causes creativity. Taiwan is a place of enormous innovation and creativity. That's why it has such a great economy. But it's important to know what makes innovation, Mm -hmm. what makes creativity. And that's what I try to write about. Mm -hmm. And we've become a society, when I say we, I mean the United States, maybe Taiwan too, in which people don't question rules and regulations quite as much. Well, we have more referees than we have innovators, people saying you can't do this, you can't do that. And you got more lawyers saying that would be too dangerous, don't try that. And so this book is supposed to show you that this guy can be really reckless. You can you can find him immature. You can think he's crazy. But you also need to understand why some of what he does is key for us being an innovative society. Also, he's just unbelievably interesting. All personalities of him, even demon mode. I mean, even if this were just a novel mm-hmm. without having a whole lot of understanding of the world's greatest innovations, it would be one of the most colorful characters you can imagine. So I got this opportunity to ride alongside him on this wild ride for two years. And I don't try to preach in this book. I don't try to say, here's what you have to think about him. I'm just telling you these wild stories and then you get to figure out, wow, that guy's weird, or that guy's crazy, or that guy's a jerk, or that guy is amazing. And I hope you figure out that all of those adjectives are true. And you think, that was the most interesting person I've read about in many years. So is it your belief people will shape the history? Yeah, that's a very good question. When I first wrote about Henry Kissinger, I discovered something he said when he was doing the missions in the Middle East. He said, when I was a professor, I used to think history was shaped by grand forces. Yeah. But now that I see it up close, 
I see what difference personalities make, that people make. And that's always been a debate in history yes. from the days of Toynbee to Tolstoy. You can have people debating. Mm. Is it great forces or do individuals shape history? I worked at Time Magazine and we always put a person on the cover when I was there. And it was because we wanted to tell the history of our time to the people who make it. And people said, well, that's personality journalism. And, you know, the person who founded the magazine said, well, we didn't invent that. The Bible did. I mean, that's the way we tell stories. That's the way we convey lessons. It's through people. Mm -hmm. So I find it more interesting to understand how a person works. Now, in my book, I talk about the great forces shaping things, the outsourcing movement, the lack of manufacturing, the inability to do space travel, mm -hmm. the partisan politics. These are all part of the story. But I'm somebody, as a journalist, who has learned over the years that there are certain people, Steve Jobs, Jennifer Doudna, Einstein, Ben Franklin, that because of who they are, are not only interesting, but they actually influence the course of history. Does history make people or do people make history? It seems Isaacson believes that strong individuals have the power to shape history. As for Elon Musk, his vision and drive are undeniably steering the course of our future, influencing both our society and the evolution of our minds. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Remember, if you like our show, please leave a review, hopefully constructive, or write us an email to let us know what you think. If you are interested in reading about how Chinese electric vehicle newcomers are challenging Tesla and the European incumbents, check out Commonwealth Magazine's English website for our in-depth reports. Our next episode will be online October 24th, where we will be talking about Vietnam. This show is produced by Wei Ru Wang, edited by Ian Huang. I'm your host, Kwang Ying Liu. Follow Taiwanology wherever you get your podcasts, and talk to you soon.